What can we gain? What type of knowledge can be produced that can be generative and constructive and liberative for us by looking at the everyday ordinary lives of black people, not just looking at, you know, black folk who made it. But what can I gain about God from looking at the card table? Welcome to this special off-season episode of Shake the Dust, Leaving Colonized Faith for the Kingdom of God, a podcast of KTF Press. I'm Cy Hoekstra here with Jonathan Walton. Today, we have an interview with Dante Stewart. Dante is a speaker and a writer whose work in the areas of race, religion, and politics has been featured on CNN and in the Washington Post, Christianity Today, Sojourners, The Witness, Comment, and a whole lot of other places. He received his BA in sociology from Clemson University and is currently studying at the Candler School of Theology at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. The two of us and Susie got to talk to Dante a couple weeks ago about his new book, Shouting in the Fire, an American epistle which came out October 12th. You will hear us talk to Dante about the book, his journey finding life and identity in the Black church and literary tradition, expanding our definition of what theology is, finding God and faith in the ordinariness of life, and a whole lot more. Just as a reminder, as always, listeners who want to support the show, the best way you can do that is going to ktfpress.com and subscribing. That gets you our weekly newsletter where we bring you curated media recommendations to help you in discipleship and political engagement. You get writing from us. And you get bonus episodes of this show, like the monthly episodes that we're doing uh, for subscribers during the off-season, the first of which will drop next week. Subscriptions also support the free version of this show, as well as other projects we're working on, like uh, the book that we announced with Timmy Spencer. You can subscribe and get the first month free by going to ktfpress.com slash free month. That's ktfpress.com slash free month. Also, please remember to hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast player. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at KTF Press, and tell your friends about us. All right, without any further ado, here is our interview with Dante Stewart. Dante Stewart, thank you so much for joining us on Shake the Dust. We're really happy to have you here today. Yeah, what's up, man? What up, what up, what up? So uh, we're here to talk about this this new book of yours that's uh, coming out called Shouting in the Fire, and uh, it's sort of a, a memoir of yours uh, that takes us kind of on this journey the last basically 10 years of your life, kind of starting around when you were a freshman uh, at Clemson. Uh, and then, you know, it takes us through this journey of you having grown up in a black Pentecostal church in, in rural South Carolina, then kind of entering into white evangelicalism and finding like your way away from that tradition. And then your journey back into the faith and the culture kind of that you grew up with. Um, with, with some caveats or extra thoughts, I guess, that we'll, we'll talk about, I'm sure. But um, c- just to, to give, obviously, if readers want the whole story, they're going to go look at the book. But just to give us uh, <laughs> yeah, a, sure. a little bit of a sense of your story, uh, can, can you tell us kind of what it was that drew you into white evangelicalism and then what brought you back out of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, first, thank y'all for having me on. Um, definitely deep honor, uh, uh, deep, deep honor. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think for me, like so many young black uh, students and student athletes who were at, you know, majority white institutions, what many people would call predominantly white institutions or PWIs, uh, oftentimes, you know, in, brought into break, greater proximity uh, 
in, in, in what I would deem white social space. So uh, spaces uh, whose rhythms and institutional realities are dominated, you know, particularly by white people um, in, in, in very many ways, whether that be, you know, white social groups or uh, white Christian groups or, you know, the type of uh, environments and things that people uh, tell others that they should desire to be around and be plugged into. And so, you know, as I came from the black rural South, uh, South of Columbia, South Carolina in a small town uh, in between Swansea, South Carolina, St. Matthew, South Carolina and Sandy Run, South Carolina through school and church and, and family life and things like that. You know, when I arrived at Clemson, so much of the world that I came from, uh, as you mentioned about me being black Pentecostal uh, and just the kind of black worlds uh, that I was just immersed in, I would trade it for white social space. And so, you know, being a student athlete at Clemson, more most time, more times than not, you know, the people who have closest proximity to athletes are pretty much often always white evangelicals or those who are black and persons of color within those evangelical spaces. And so, you know, you're talking about athletes in action or fellowship of Christian athletes or um, other crew or whatever. Yeah. Um, those those type of ministries and, and spaces are in closest proximity to the athletes. And so one of the two, really two things that that tends to happen uh, is that, you know, the message is that you should have access in those spaces. So those spaces are going to bring you access to things that you didn't have before. Uh, and those spaces will bring you acclaim. And so you will be able to kind of ascend in certain ways, whether that be as a student leader. So, you know, we in college and, you know, there's nothing better in white evangelical spaces than the title of the student leader uh, <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or whatnot. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so as I played football, you know, uh, chapel services and things like that, uh, it would pretty much be white. Uh, men preaching uh, or black men who were in those spaces or very much adjacent to those spaces, even though they might have been in black churches. And so like, yeah, that journey, that journey really, you know, crystallized for me during those moments in those college years. You know, as I as I kind of recount in the book, uh, I, I recount, you know, going to FCA and what that meant for me and and the kind of feelings and and things that it kind of brought out of me and and the kind of promises that that space made and makes for so many of us, uh, either as a way to kind of reward us for distancing ourselves or, you know, heal us for the ways that we felt like we were wounded. Uh, or as many would say, you know, hey, being raised black Pentecostal, as I said, you know, this is not the right way. And so we get we, we start believing that, you know, proximity to whiteness means that we are closer to God and that following, you know, pe white people's ways means that we are closer to Jesus. And mm -hmm. so many times, you know, through through and, and either in active forms and passive forms, that's the message that we receive. And that's the message, particularly that I believed, um, you okay. know, and so. Yeah, that's what that's really what happened. And I, I went through some years there where I was immersed in that space, uh, preaching, teaching, leading, uh, then ended up writing and things like that. And so the, the kind of catalyst for change for me uh, happened when we when me, my wife and I, who's in the Air Force, moved to Augusta, Georgia. 
Uh, and then in 2016, the the shootings happened of Alton Sterling and then Philando Castile. And then, you know, going through a white reformed Southern Baptist church as a young black Christian um, who's confused about my own identity, but also, you know, going deeper and deeper and deeper into white space and white religion and white theology as a way to kind of affirm myself and bring me access and things like that. You know, that 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 kind of paradox was happening. So, you know, as those shootings and killings happened, uh, it really brought out feelings that I had suppressed for so long. And then the really thing that 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 changed it was you know, the response of white Christians as I tried to kind of make sense of what I was seeing in the world, but also make sense of what I was reading in my own time uh, mm -hmm. as I was trying to develop language for the kind of lived experience I was having as a young black Christian uh, within that space. And so, yeah, that that was kind of my entry point. Um, and in a very real way, though, you know, James Baldwin was my exit point. I like to tell people there is no way uh, there was no mm. way possible. You can do a close reading and an honest reading of the fire next time and stay committed uh, to to white evangelicalism as uh, in its type of kind of faith, reality, practice and rituals uh, uh, and, and imagination that it holds out for us. And so, you know, James Baldwin was that, that, that exit for me, you know, I, I read mm -hmm. that joint and yeah, it, my, my, the, as they say uh, with Daniel, the writing was on the wall. <laughs> so, yeah. I, this is funny. When I was, um, a freshman in college, I was assigned to that book in a class that I was in and I grew up white evangelical as you get. And, um, when I finished that book, I was like, I have, no idea what I just read, but I'm, I think it might've changed my life. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like he was just coming from yeah, such a yeah, different perspective real. than me, but I, I, I was like, I don't know. It was one of those things where you, you just feels important, but even though you don't know why. 100, 100. Yeah. And, and I think, and I think that's the thing about James Baldwin as, as so much of, you know, the black literary tradition and, and many of the traditions of black writing or black thinking or black preaching so one way I, I guess on a, on, a, on a big level one would call it you know the black literary tradition mm -hmm. I mean following yeah. you know the thoughts of someone uh like James Baldwin or Toni Morrison or Tony mm -hmm. K Bambara or even now in the contemporary literature black literature regarding like you know Disha Filia, Robert Jones, Ashley Ford, Kiese Lehman, um Jason Reynolds uh who else who's doing that work Sarah Broom, uh, Maurice Ruffin um uh jasmine ward and and, and the mm -hmm. likes and, and 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 that black literary tradition but also you're talking about black intellectual tradition you know talking about like uh the boys and traditions of black study uh with like fred moton or horton spiller um and and those and, and the likes like Stuart hall or or kevin kwashi uh but then you also talk about the black theological tradition uh mm -hmm. thinking thinking all the way back you know uh, 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 during the times of enslavement and the ways in which black folk uh, dreamed of what uh, my friend Sean Crawley would say otherwise possibilities. And so uh, the hush, they were able to find God within the hush harbor. They were, they were, mm -hmm. they were able to develop, you know, different experiences beyond the logics and the litmus of white Christian and social space and the ways in which like it pressured them to try and, you know, diminish their humanity to feel like they must be accepted by God, as well as hold up a theology, you know, that destroyed their body 
uh, uh, and believed that the best things of life for black folk were in heaven while the best things of life for white folk were, white folk were here on earth. And so if we think about James Baldwin, James Baldwin is very much, you know, in that tradition of using meta theological or religious metaphor uh, through the medium of the essay or through the medium of 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 poetry or through the medium of an interview or through the medium of even writing a play and things like that. And so, like, I think, like, if we do a close reading of Baldwin, you're not just simply, you know, reading about black life and the intricacies and the complexities and the beauty. Uh, of black life uh, and and black worlds, but you also, you know, reading, uh, you're doing theology. You're hearing Baldwin uh, take take uh, invite you into uh, taking time to be still and inviting you to sit and ponder with him about the sacred space with him in the sacred space between his life and his body and the and the body of his nephew and his life, and so. In some sense, I, I say people have to read the fire next time, the beginning of the fire next time as a prayer and the second half of the fire next time as a sermon. And so you, if we do those type of close, critical, theological and literary readings of that text, we can see that, you know, when Baldwin says if the concept of God, you know, has any validity, it can only make us more bigger and larger and freer and more loving. That, in some sense, is inviting us into a theological imagination and narration of our stories that would deconstruct and dismantle theologies that make us narrow and just simply concerned about power and control. And so for me, you know, to read Baldwin in that space and for others, I think, to read Baldwin, I think I think for us, you know, that represents in so many ways uh, the possibilities of the type of faith lives that we can imagine for ourselves that right now. I think we need um, many people would say that so many people are tired of religion and tired of Jesus. And and very much that is the case uh, and, 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 and has very much validity, you know, as it relates to their experiences within our church spaces. And instead of but but and also there are people who are tired of tired of the the kind of exhausting ways of practicing their faith that just simply want to imagine faith as an argument or a war to be won rather than humanity and liberation to be embodied and expressed within the practices and imagination of what we believe to be what Jesus says that I've come to have that I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And so instead of, you know, our faith as many experience being one of stealing and killing and destroying. And if there is any type of, you know, experience of Christianity that, 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 that we know to be true and widespread, it is the traditions of Christian faith that is about stealing and killing and destroying. And I think, you know, for me, especially as I express within my book, you know, you will be able to be invited into that journey of life and particularly black life. And black life being alive and abundant. Well, that was a sermon. <laughs> Amen. And we just got to talk. I know. Sorry, I know. That's, that was my next thought. <laughs> that, was the, that was the warm up. I lied. Um, okay. So I think then working off of what you just said, you you write in your book that Baldwin and Toni Morrison and, and other writers in that tradition are theologians. And just because I think a lot of people's categories of what constitutes theology would not include those people. What do you mean by that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great question. I think in some sense that might be the issue is that, 
you know, what we deem to be theology or, or doing theological work, you know, is so limiting. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and so much of our understandings of uh, uh, what does it mean to speak of faith, um, speak of our life and our embodiment too often, you know, the litmus of that is, you know, the litmus and the legitimacy of that is oftentimes, you know, by standards of white people. So if we think about, you know, the time of enslavement and going and going back in the time of enslavement and thinking about the ways in which, you know, what the plantation represented as it relates to whose life and whose story is legitimate, who must always be the master and who must always be the enslaved and who must always, you know, be the one controlling bodies and imaginations and dreams and the ways we talk about God and in the spaces we live and move and have our being in. And how can we develop alternative spaces where theology can be something more, something better, something more loving? And so when I think about Baldwin and Morrison, you know, I, I, I kind of started to um, really my gateway into thinking about them through theology it has been and continues to be within uh, the academy. Um, you know, I'm a student right now in modern religious thought and experience. Um, I'm a master of theological studies um, student at, uh, uh, at Emory University at the Candler School of Theology at Emory. Um, and, and, and most of my research right now is centering around, you know, text theory and theology. So looking at the ways in which black texts intersect with critical theories and doing theological studies, particularly centered around, you know, black and womanist the, uh, uh, theological frameworks. And so mm-hmm. as I started to read Baldwin, as I started to read Morrison and I started, you know, to read, you know, black broadly in black literature, I just started to realize that on a kind of personal level, when I read their literature, something spiritually happened to me, you know, and so it's not just conceptually, you know, that 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 what they were saying helped me think better or gave me different language. But what it did for me, especially as you're talking about if we're thinking about our theology and our religion and our Christian faith as coming to bring life, then I would say that whenever we are doing the type of work that embraces our humanity, that seeks to tell the story of our humanity and make it beautiful and holds out the possibility of a better way of being together, then that is doing the work of what Jesus calls life. And so I was, uh, I wrote this essay um, not too long ago on Amanda Gorman. uh, and Mm. And I was thinking about, you know, Amanda's work and thinking about, like doing a close reading of her poem, The Hill We Climb. And and, and I was in that moment, I was actually, uh, I read this beautiful, beautiful essay by theologian M. Sean Copeland uh, on Toni Morrison's Beloved. And she was talking about the sermon that, sermon that Baby Suggs gives in The Clearing, where she says, you know, here, where Toni Morrison writes, here in this place, we flesh. Here in this place, we flesh flesh that weeps, flesh that dances in the grass. And she goes on to say, you got to love your flesh. Yonder, they don't love your flesh. In a moment, they will kill it. They will destroy your flesh. 
but you have to love it. And then she crescendos on that is the prize. And so as I thought about, you know, Toni Morrison and I thought about Amanda Gorman, I've been thinking about Baldwin and, and broadly in contemporary black literature. Um, you know, I would say that these writers and thinkers are theologians in the truest sense of the word. How? How are they theologians in the truest sense of the word? For me, at least, you know, as I'm trying to think about uh, uh, frameworks of doing theology, for me, at least, you know, they are making divine possibilities intelligible. Mm. They are making divine possibilities intelligible. So when mm. Jesus comes on the scenes and talk about liberation, when Jesus comes on the scene and started healing bodies and shaping stories and holding out better than many of the religious and political leaders were holding out, he was holding out divine possibilities. And so when when Baldwin is doing his work in Just Above My Head or when Morrison is doing her work in Paradise or when Bambara is doing her work in The Salt Eaters or when Disha is doing her work in The Secret Lives of Church Slaves or when Kiese is writing in Heavy or when Jason is writing in Look Both Ways or even when Robert is writing in The Prophets and, and others are just doing this incredible, incredible work and even Sarah Broom is writing about the intimacy see of the house and what the house says and feels like or when jasmine writes that last line home she says home and sing them very sing these type of writing are pressing us deeply into divine possibilities and they are offering us as theologians should be doing offering us a world of love an alternative world of love freedom hope and joy and so for me, theology, I don't think theology is simply just speaking or even wrestling. So so proclamation from pulpits or proclamation within classrooms or even wrestling uh, with harder questions of theology and frameworks of theology in your own study. But it is also helping us dream a little bit about the possibility of a future that God can have for us. So as Toni Morrison writes in The Sight of Memory, she says it's not just simply about pondering the actual. It is also about imagining the possible. And if that is not theology, I don't know what is. I think theology at the heart of theology, doing theology, living righteous, meaningful, beautiful and lovely and complex lives is about pondering the actual of life. What does it mean to ponder life in a pandemic? What does it mean to ponder life in a moment when a cop sits on kneels on the knee of George Floyd? What does it mean to ponder the actual of Breonna Taylor Brim being murdered? And we hardly, in some sense, remembering her name in the ways that we remember black boys and black men. What does it mean for LGBTQ and trans uh, uh, brothers and sisters and image bearers to be killed and devalued and oppressed? What does it mean to uh, be an immigrant or a migrant running away from home, trying to find home again? What does it mean to be? What does it mean to ponder the actual of being a young kid who is in one of these rural towns where you don't really get to, to make the decisions about your life, but you have to figure out how to live with what you have when your family is trying to make do with what they got? That work is theology and <laughs> pondering pondering the actual, but it is also imagining the possible. So I want to think about, you know, as Rowan Williams, right? You know, how can I enlarge my world? 
and explore my own story and the story of others. And for me, as I've, you know, done that in my book, as people will read, you know, in every chapter, you know, there's a metaphor, a working metaphor uh, in every chapter. There is a type of narration of trying to do that work, that theological work of pondering and imagining. And so for me, I think that 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 at its heart is a part of what we mean by doing theology. Dante, uh, first of all, I feel like this is church right here. Um, I agree with Sai that you've just given us a couple of sermons to sit and meditate on. Um, so thank you for not just writing this book, but for bringing your words today. Um, and w- one other thing that we wanted to kind of dig into since we have the privilege of talking to you is one thing you emphasize about the process of reclaiming your tradition is realizing the ordinariness of faith. And the ways that you now find God in your everyday life. And actually you referenced womanist theology. And that insight makes me think of, you know, Yolanda Pierce's recent book that came out in my grandmother's house and, and drawing on, on those rich traditions and experiences. So can you flesh that idea out for us more? What what do you mean by that? Can you get into that? Explain that? Because I think it's so insightful and so important. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. And Yolanda's book is absolutely amazing. It is a beautiful, wow, Yolanda's book is a, you know, an absolute stunning, stunning work of of of, of story and theology, but just absolutely beautiful writing. I mean, she, she, she took, I, I think she took such deep care about the ways that she told the story of, you know, Black women. Um, but also, you know, uh, and black women in particular, but also broadly black people in general. And I think for me, that's kind of a part of, you know, that process of reclaiming my tradition and, and, and a, a particular ordinariness. I think for me, on a, on, on a kind of theological level, I, I don't know if we actually really, you know, really, you know, take the time to think about this. But so many of the books of the Bible center divine life in the ordinariness of our lived experiences. Mm-hmm. So when you talk, now I'm kind of go, okay, now I'm a, I, I was talking about text, you know, in theology, but now let me talk about theory a little bit. I'm going to get a little theoretical real quick. <laughs> so when, you know, when we're talking about, you know, epistemology and, and things about how we know, um, we, we have to be honest to say that, you know, the Bible takes seriously lived experiences as ways of knowing the divine and ways of imagining our faith lies as multi as as multitudes. So there is as far as genre, there is erotica in the Bible called Song of Songs. Mm-hmm. There's a genre of erotica. But then there's literature and history. And then there are books that centered around stories of ordinary people coming in contact with an extraordinary God. And so when when I think about the ordinariness of my faith and and and, and trying to reclaim those stories, I don't just want to close that story up in the Bible and say that 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 type of reality is over. 
that God does not speak within our lived experiences. Because oftentimes that language of, uh, uh, you know, God being done and, and that language of a certain closeness of God is not necessarily because people think so highly of the Bible as much as they think so highly of themselves and so lowly of others. Say it again, preacher. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know if I can repeat that, but you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, they, they, you know, they, they think so highly of themselves and so lowly of others. Mm -hmm. And so even back to the story about, even just back to the question about, you know, why, you know, Baldwin and Morrison and being the theologians, you know, too oftentimes theologians in our minds have been the white heterosexual man. Uh, or black men or white women, you know, and then you can kind of go down the hierarchy then, you know, about whose story, you know, matters, you know, and I'm, I'm willing to say, you know, I want to find ways to enlarge my world through everyday ordinary experiences of black people, um, everyday ordinary experiences like my mama and my grandma and my granddaddy. And even that story that I told about, you know, going back to the river and things like that, like, like that, that for me is like the ordinariness of faith, the willingness to listen, you know, to that still small voice, the willingness to say, you know, faith is not no triumphal story. And that even my losses that I take can 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 contain knowledge, can contain the production of knowledge uh, uh, and things like that. And so I'm reminded of um, uh, uh, I'm reminded of Emily Towns um, uh, writing in her beautiful, beautiful work. Um, womanist ethics, I think, and the cultural production of evil. And so, you know, womanist theology and the ways in which, for me, so much of my theological imagination right now is 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 kind of formulated uh, and found and formed uh, through womanist theology as well as black feminist thought. You know, um, mm -hmm. and so for me lately, I've been kind of sitting with. Um, Emily, Emily Towns and M. Sean Copeland on the woman's side, but also, you know, sitting with Patricia Hill Collins and sitting with particularly with Terion Williamson and her beautiful book, Scandalize My Name, and just trying to think deeply about, you know, the ways in which, you know, for them, how they saw Alice Walker and her her way of thinking about uh, uh, womanish and, and taking that word that was meant to destroy them. Uh, and devalue them and take it and turn it into something that is to liberate them and make them feel seen and loved or the ways in which, you know, uh, uh, somebody like Tamora Lomax uh, in her book, Jezebel Unhinged, the way in which, you know, she takes feminist theory and black religion and turns it into something beautiful and liberative. And so, like, for me, you know, I tried I tried just to take seriously the everyday ordinary lives of black people. Uh, and trying to figure out what kind of what can be gleaned, what can be gained, what can be broadened in my own type of faith life from doing, you know, a close reading and an embrace and acceptance or like Terry on Williams to say, what does it mean to look at our black lives and say that they are as much a serious starting point for our understanding about life as much as any other? So I think, you know, when you start talking about a technology and starting points and things like that, you know, I want to say, I want to take seriously what type of production of knowledge can be gleaned, can be gained from black literature, from black art, from black protests, from somebody like uh, J. Artis Rati dancing in the street. What can be gained from that when we think about, you know, seeing 
uh, man, uh, Hanif's book. What, what's that joint? It's uh, Hanif's book, uh, the little, a little devil in America, you know, in praise of, of, of black performance and thinking about ways in which we can, what can we gain? What type of knowledge can be produced that can be generative and constructive and liberative for us? By looking at the everyday ordinary lives of black people, not just looking at, you know, black folk who made it. But what what can I, what can I gain about God from looking at the card table? What can I gain about God from looking at, you know, a young brother going to school first day, you know, trying to wipe his J's? You know, what does that care? What does that teach me about the care and concern of our bodies that we should be had that should be had? You know, uh, or, or or you know, somebody looking at you know, like he say in his book, uh, "Long Division." Like, what does the brush for black boys symbolize? You know, about about the beauty of the humanity of black life and the ways in which, oftentimes, as I write about in one of my chapters, uh, uh, that oftentimes you know we black boys learn distrust, and oftentimes that's aided by the church. And if that is aided by the church, how can we deconstruct and decolonize those theologies so that we can hold out something better? What type of metaphors uh, can be can be had? And so for me, you know, just like the Bible, I think black lives are not just basic instructions before leaving Earth, as many (laughs) people would say. But I do think that it's a way we can think about it as boundless interpretations or illustrations, boundless illustrations becoming lived experiences so if the divine life can be obtained and and enlarge our own understanding of ourselves within the bible then i think the same thing can be had in everyday ordinary black experiences and you you called everything that you just said theory but then you know having read your book like i can so clearly see how you did all of that Mm-hmm. in like just in the in the everyday experiences of your family and so i would yeah, for urge, sure. urge anybody listening to to check it out just because that that is not theory for you oh yeah no doubt but then also on the on, the, on another hand it is theory and it should and i think it should be theory because oftentimes even in like so like in my classes on theory that oftentimes you know we're reading i mean i'm reading people i'm reading i'm reading theoreticians you know, uh, or, or whatnot. And so I'm reading so many of these theoreticians and it's just like, you know, what type of theory can, can, can be gained from looking at those everyday experiences and saying, okay, that is, that is doing theory as well. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. right. I, I think what I mean is for you, it's not just theory. Oh yeah. 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 No, 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 no. I got what you meant. No, I got what you meant. I got what you meant. That is, that is not just theory. It's every day. It's, it's existential. You know, right. but on the other yeah. hand, I'm saying that it should be contained in theory and we should theorize about it and we should write in ways that's theoretical so that we can say that our lives must be taken seriously no matter where they find themselves. Yeah. Whether that right. be in the academy or in the street or in the churches and things like that. And so yeah. one of the harder things, though, that I felt like I'm so proud of that I was able to do is that when you read my book, I'm doing theory but it doesn't feel like theory. And so I'm weaving like Alice Walker. I'm weaving Toni Morrison. I'm weaving Baldwin. I'm weaving Audre Lorde. And I'm doing that type of work, but I'm so proud, you know, that I was able to, you know, maybe think like a theorist, but write like an essayist. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, in, in our broader culture, there's a fear of the deconstructionist. 
And I think the the actual thing that you're doing that's dangerous is reconstruction because deconstruction will leave you in a room like a kid with a bunch of Legos, but reconstruction will actually take you to a different place and you begin to build a new world. And so the books that you, I mean, you listed off a library of people, yeah. right? You, you're, there's a Kyle Howard talks about, he got a white education and I think you just laid out like a black syllabus. Um, and so what I would love for you to talk about um, is how you and who helped you reconstruct a faith around Jesus. Because you did not throw away Jesus. You threw away white American folk religion, what I would say. You threw away the, the race-based, class-based, gender-based hierarchy that actually interrupts the intimacies of life and coats it with exploitation and violence, right? But you were able to create something different in your book and paint a new picture of what a world might look like that is intimate, but it's also accessible if we're willing to do the same work. So can you talk about the process of reconstruction around a Jesus that liberates and not one that constrains like the whips and chains that first brought our folks here? Mm. Wow. Yeah, 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 for sure. That's a good question. That's a great question. And you know, one of the things um, that that's just for me at least uh, that's weird about like the, the whole conversation regarding deconstruction is, you know, the type of I, number one, I'm not in that space. So like, I'm, yeah. I think, I think the, the, those who are deconstructing are in a particular space that they're carving out, you know, and, and that's just not my space nor my place mm -hmm. speaking in, 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 in that way, just cause that's, I mean, that's just not, that's not what I'm doing. That's not, yeah. Like that's that's like that's like when people ask about anti-racist texts, you know, mm -hmm, oftentimes mm -hmm. people that's that's why you see like when you go to Barnes and Noble, like you see Robin D'Angelo in black section like, nah, mm -hmm. she's not black, nor mm -hmm. is she doing like black work. She doing mm -hmm. good work, you know, for some, she over there. people. Yeah, but <laughs> she ain't talking to us. She ain't doing work for us. And so for me, mm -hmm. like. That's just not my space that I'm in. I mean, mm -hmm. I am, I am in a space, you know, that like, like I'm, 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 I'm a minister uh, in pastoral ministry in, in a black progressive space, you know, black progressive denomination and church, you know, that have all types of black folk, you know, whether you're talking about progressive or conservative, you're talking about LGBTQ or, uh, or homophobic, you know, you know, you just, you just got a mixed bag, you know, in, in, in this space, you know, you got, you got intergenerational. And so, and I'm trying to carve out my space doing work centered around black lives and black literature and things like that. And so I don't want to kind of even set myself up as somebody who, you know, presents a reconstructed alternative, you know, even as opposed to those who are doing deconstruction, because that's just not my space. That's not what I'm doing. That's not like, like, like that's, that's just not in, <laughs> yeah, it's just not my space uh, yeah. or whatnot. Do I think, do I think like, do I think that that work is necessary and needed? Yes, I think it is because oftentimes, you know, even ways in which like we use the term orthodoxy, you know, it's a complicated, complex term, especially as you're mm -hmm. talking about church history. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know who taught people church history class, but, you know, <laughs> I mean, Christian history, you know, is just terrible. It's 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 messed up. It's, it's a bad, bad history. There are moments uh, where it's beautiful, uh, but there are many, many moments and many more moments where it's actually terrible. And so, 
in yeah. in that in that regard, there are things that need to be deconstructed and unfolded and and got and and, and got rid of, you know, or, or, or whatnot. But then there are other people, you know, who will. We're not trying to present alternatives to people who are deconstructing, but also, you know, who's saying, you know, for me, and this is where I'm at right now, you know, Christian identity is not even my first identity at the end of the day. You know, I don't I, I'm not that I'm not that person. I'm not someone who says Christian identity is my first identity. That's just not the case. When I wake up in the morning, you know, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm black. You know, I'm just trying to do work. I'm a student. You know, of course, my faith informs all of that. You know, but, you know, Christian identity, just not my first identity, you know, being black, you know, in some sense, it's my it's my first identity. Uh, and Christian is a part of that. You know, it's not like a hierarchy of identities uh, uh, as much as it more so is a way in which those identities are intersectional and interlocking and integrated. And so for me, it's like Christian identity for me is not an exhaustive identity or reality, but it is a meaningful one. It's a meaningful one. And so for me, I want to say I stand in the world, you know, first as a black writer, but also I stand in the world as someone who finds deep meaning in the liberating and loving story of Jesus. And so that informs the way that I write. But then for me, like even with my book, I didn't want to write a Christian book because on one level, (laughs) I think so much of Christian writing you know, as it as it relates to the genre, I think I don't know if it's very creative. Like, I just don't know if it's very creative writing, like like if people are really thinking about skill when it comes to how do I write something that's creative and compelling? You know, it's almost like sermonizing, like, OK, here's the text for the day. Here is, you know, historical background. Here is my three points of my sermon. Close you out and give you something to take away home. And I think, you know, we need to do better writing as Christians and as it relates to the genre of Christian writing. You know, yeah. my book is a Christian book. It is. But I'm not writing, you know, Christian literature, you know, because yeah. I want to expand that. And so as it relates to my faith, you know, I'm a Christian and that's a meaningful identity. And that informs how I tell my story. That informs how I understand my story and interpret the world, you know, but I'm also black and I'm in the tradition of black writing in a tradition of black thinking and in a tradition of black world making. And that informs my writing. And so like, especially in certain chapters, you're going to see where, you know, I talk about, you know, where things feel, you know, grounded in a certain type of theology, but then where you're going to also feel where things are grounded in a certain type of tradition. And so for me, you know, as it relates to reconstructing and thinking about how to reconstruct and put our faith stories and lives back together again, you know, I think about the Tony K. Bombard quote out of the Saudi this. Yeah, so there's this story of of, of 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 Velma, I think, if I'm not mistaken, being asked, you know, hey, yo, sweetheart, are you sure you want to be well? Just so you know, you know, healing, you know, ain't no trifling matter. You know, a lot of weight when you're well. And so, like, mm-hmm. I think about that, you know, healing and wholeness is no trifling matter. So we putting our faith lives back together again is no trifling matter. It's going to take a lot of weight. There are going to be some things that need to be taken off and deconstructed. There are also going to be some things that need to hold us down and and, and that gives us some weight. 
And I'm not even thinking about, you know, people, people who say, you know, you got to make sure your foundation strong and things like that and make sure you, well, no, nah, I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking mm-hmm. about what type of stories ground and root your experience that helps you generate meaning in the complex, ugly, beautiful, and oftentimes confusing moments in our lived experiences. So what stories help us generate meaning? What metaphors help us generate meaning? And for me, that's the type of work I'm trying to, you know, lean into. You know, I'm not trying to be, you know, I'm not trying to be a correction to evangelicalism. I'm not trying Mm -hmm. to be a correction to deconstruction, uh, to traditions of deconstruction and decolonial theory and theology. You know, number one, I'm not smart enough, number one. Number two, because you know, <laughs> you know, because in some sense, man, like like it takes a while to kind of think about these concepts and theories mm-hmm. and, and do good work around these things. But then, you know, on another level, you know, I think the most pressing need for me is to how can I lean into black stories and try and write in such a way and think and talk and do work and move and maneuver in such a way that our black lives are more than simply just performance. Uh, and, and just simply plain pain but that our lives are embraced and cherished and loved and explored and that our worlds are made beautiful. And so like that was in some sense, if we are to speak about a certain type of reconstruction, you know, or as Tony, as uh, Terry, Terry Williamson writes, I love, I love how Tony Morrison talks about this and Terry Williamson, Terry Williamson says it's like getting back to living again. Um, but then Toni Morrison says in the New York Times, I think it was a 1974 New York Times essay where she like, it was like growing up black again. And so for me, my journey was about getting back to living again and growing up back again. And yes, in ways things need to be deconstructed and some things need to be held on to. But, you know, I wasn't trying to simply do that. I was trying to say, OK, I was trying to do how can I press deeply into the ways in which I became terrible? And the ways in which being black and Christian and American oftentimes is terrible and confusing, complex, but also Mm. can be beautiful, generative and life giving. And so, yeah, that's kind of how I've been thinking about it instead of, you know, you know, as a correction to other folk. You know, I ain't just saying I ain't trying to be that person. I don't want to be known as that person. I want to be known as somebody who love black people who love black black stories and and tried to write them beautifully and who did excellent i mean phenomenal ground shaking beautiful writing as a style as a content as as a form that i wrote in ways you know that 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 year 10 years 2 years from now like people think i still think about between the world and me Still, mm-hmm. still thinking about yeah. seeing a very sing, or sp- people still thinking about you know Maya Angelou's work or Toni Morrison's work or uh, or, mm-hmm. or heavy or you know Secret Lives, whatever you know people people still mm-hmm. think about this writing because not just because it's like great content, but that it's absolutely beautiful writing. That's the type yeah. of work I want to do. Yeah. Is that you know five ten years from now, you know when people think about you know their faith, their 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 embodied experiences their trauma, their pain, and trying to translate those wounds into worlds. I want them to be talking about shouting in the fire and American mm-hmm. epistle as something that, that grounds them, that loves them, that sees them and inspires them. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, you, you have done that. 
just in case you, I hope you're not wondering that. And I think people who are listening uh, need to know that that book is that. And I think yeah. um, the, the, your stubborn biblical refusal to be categorized and classified in a bookstore is awesome. Yeah. And I hope that that is a testament to the people who are listening that like the things of God will not be codified. Like it is a transcendent um, thing that you've done and what all of us are invited into when we write and we read, we engage within life with God and, tr- and sincerely with other people and the things that they have been gifted by God to do in the world. And so, so amen to all that. Yeah. And I, I think people are going to try, I think people already do try and put you in categories like deconstruction or whatever. And, mm-hmm. and so much of that is, is like you said, just from a desire to put people in their place to, categorize them as good or bad to control them it's it's also partially a result of like continuing to just see absolutely everything through the lens of whatever is happening in the white church Hmm. and i i appreciate you just saying nope i'm not a part of any of that (laughs) um yeah dante this has been an incredible conversation we really really appreciate you being here uh other than the book is there anything you want to plug and where can people follow you uh on the internet yeah so people can connect with me at stuart dante c um, that's pretty, my, my handles are pretty much standard across the board. They can also connect with me on my website, DanteCSteward.com. Um, I got a newsletter, um, that, that, that you can sign up for where I'm keeping everybody kind of up to date about the book, but also, you know, um, yeah, it, it's like, I share, it's like a word from me, you know, a word on the book, a word from James Baldwin. So I kind of, you know, it's called the Amen Corner, um, a word from James Baldwin. And then, you know, I kind of keep people up to date on kind of things I'm doing in public. So you can connect with me there. And I try my best, you know, now things are getting a little bit more busier. Um, it's getting a little bit harder, but I try my best to respond uh, to everybody. So, yeah. Well, again, thank you so much, Dante. I'm I'm uh, on that newsletter, everybody. It's, it's worth it. Go sign up and follow Dante everywhere on social media. You're going to get a ton of good stuff. Thanks again for being here. We, we really appreciate it. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to take a look at ktfpress.com and consider subscribing and get a free month of that subscription at ktfpress.com slash free month. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at KTF Press. Hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast player for this show. And you know what? Give us a rating or review in your podcast player if your podcast player allows that sort of thing. Uh, That's actually really helpful for other people finding the show. But only do that if it's five stars. Otherwise, keep it to yourself. He's Yeah, that's right. I, I agree with that. Give us a five star. Listen, if you think it's a four star show, just give us five. You know, like just just be nice. Be generous. Our theme song is Citizens by John Guerra. Our podcast art is by Jacqueline Tam. And we will see you when we come back for season two next year. Or if you want to subscribe next week. Talk to you later. That subscription gets you our weekly newsletter, curating resources for discipleship and political engagement. Go, go back. You, you said curating. Curating? Yeah. What if that is what I'm doing? What are you doing? <laughs> curating? That's, you got to keep up with me. I'm curating. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's being curious and curating at the same time.
I'm, I'm sure that's what it is. You go ahead. <laughs> so my point is I did everything right and you shut up. 